0: you mm-hmm. adventures. This is Lizzie from the Westerverse. Welcome to my campaign diaries. This is episode nine and we're going to be talking about episode four, part one of the Guardians of Fahal podcast, The Haunting of Meyerfield. So, uh, in re-listening to this episode, um, I thought it was really funny. I kind of forgot that the very beginning of the episode started off a little bit more humorous, uh, with Megan still being a female Kenku with boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just like, oh, yep, I'm totally gonna be a Kenku with boobs and and just keep this appearance and be trying to play an instrument, um... And basically saying goodnight to Song, and Steve wasn't able to join us, so I just took over, you know, narrating his little bit, so it was a great guest appearance, I feel bad that I don't have, you know, I can't mimic Steve's voice, but, you know, as a Kenku, he was pretty good at mimicking people's voices, um... And then we cut over to uh, the twins, who are outside exploring the village on their way back from walking Old Man Jenkins home. Um, and they did a little bit of a walk of Meyerfield, which isn't really a big town. I think I have it in my notes that it's only like half a mile by like a quarter of a mile long. And then the keep probably takes up about like half a mile. And then it's surrounded by fields. Um, so it's not really a massive area. But it is definitely, you know, a little, you can go on a little evening stroll looking for ghosts. Um, which leads into one of the big mistakes I made as a DM is I retconned something, but I didn't really talk about it with the players um, in between sessions. But what happened was, um, so when I ended the last session where they went off to explore and they'd first heard about the ghosts, I said nobody had died from the ghosts. Um, and... That was because I wasn't really thinking about uh, what the actual stats of the monster was. Um, And so, basically, I was looking over my... They were specters is what I used for this fight. Um, I was looking over the specter stats in between that session and then this session. And then I realized that because of their, like, necrotic drain, they were gonna... The bare minimum of damage that they could potentially do was almost enough to outright kill, like, a villager. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if they touched them. So I was like, oh, okay, um... Well, I guess, you know, like if, if, you, if you view the average NPC having like six hit points or less, then yeah, like one of these things touching it is probably going to kill it, kill them. So I was like, oh, well, I guess people have died. So it is kind of dangerous for them to be out alone. So I tried to incorporate that by talking about like the creepy atmosphere at the beginning of the session for those who were still in the tavern um, and they hadn't come back yet and amping up more of the hints of how dangerous these things were. But by then the twins were already outside wandering around and maybe that wasn't fair to them. And that'll come up later. Uh, but I realized that I'm like, Oh, I should have talked to them out of game and said, Hey, these things are more dangerous and then see if they still would have wanted to go out and like, you know, explore like that because walking to old man Jenkins home, they definitely would have made it back to the tavern before the, the specters showed up. But um, by choosing to walk around the, the town it, it was definitely a little bit more risky so um yeah um <laughs> one other thing i i had in my notes when i was reviewing this episode was i was listening to the battle music and i was like damn i need to use this track again and i i'm trying to search through my notes and see what it actually was but it was is really really good um and the other thing i noticed was i was i was um very sing-songy in this episode and it's probably because I was excited because I knew from the very beginning of my game like I I didn't I didn't have everything mapped out but I knew I wanted to do like a haunting around like a town where these ghosts were coming up out of like the wheat and the players had to like encounter it and it would be really spooky so I I had been looking forward to this for a while and it took them a while to get here and you know yeah in terms of episodes this is episode four but you know there's there's weeks between each session so you're just like i'm waiting so long for you to get here to fight these silly ghosts and it's taking forever um so i was very very excited um okay so i don't have too much to say about the fight in general other than um i thought <laughs> i don't know if i want to say i mean the players felt like it went well and in it's kind of crazy that like the specter's couldn't hit anybody except for both the twins basically and then I critted twice or was it twice or three times and I critted three times on poor poor Andrews Hans and Franz and it was nasty which was specters when they have this ability to reduce your hit points by um whatever damage you took if you don't make your save that's very dangerous especially in a low level fight (laughs) low level party members they were only level 3 at this point um but beyond like the mechanics of fighting and uh, you know, almost killing one of my players characters, um, which was stressful, I I really didn't think it would be that hard of a fight because I was like, Well, they have a magic weapon, because josh's blessing of the forge lets him make one weapon magical and i knew that both uh him and andrew and sam's character all had magic so i just figured that it would probably be you know be a challenging fight but it wouldn't be like so deadly but it almost was um and i really don't know like at the time because i'm still a new dm i was like freaking out because i was like if he died i don't know what i would have done because there's so much for Hans and Franz's story that, um, and the twin story that I kind of had in my head of both of them getting there too. And that's kind of one of the things with D&D though. I feel like there's this, there's this belief that like, well, if a character dies, like that's it, their story's over and, um, they don't come back. And certainly there are instances where that does work out like I think for example in um some of Matt Colville's chain of Acheron games they have retainers that come in and come to the forefront and I think that's really cool um and I also think that in Critical Role that's what happened uh spoilers for Campaign 2 with one of the characters uh they had one of the players characters uh died pretty like 20 some sessions in and they came back as a new character. Um and that is something that probably Andrew and I would have had to work out out of game, you know what would have happened if Hans and Franz died. Uh the thing is is like from a high level narrative perspective, I don't really know. Um I definitely think now the Bandaya like would not have let him died, especially I I don't think now where we are in the game Uh, his goddess would have, like, just let him die. She's probably like, no, you fucker. You come and fix... You fix what you done fucked up. But, um... At the time, that wasn't really a thing in the game quite yet so I don't really know what would have happened I think personally I would have had a very hard time having Andrew come in as a new character because I felt like it would have just completely messed up the group dynamic but I would have probably talked with him and just figured out some options out of game because I mean there's there's a lot of ways you can handle a a character's death you can come up with a workaround where there's consequences or you can just start over with a new character and it really I think depends um I personally find it more interesting from a storytelling perspective when there comes when there's consequences when somebody comes back instead of like necessarily coming in as a new character and I'm not saying that's not that's always a wrong situation but having a character come back to life with consequences can be just as painful as a character not coming back so i don't really know what i would have done and i think now that i've dm'd at time of recording this i've been a dm for a, over a year now and i think i probably could make it work where if his character died like the story i could still incorporate a lot of the stuff that i had planned but it would be very very tricky Um, but you know, you, you just never know, like, and you kind of have to read every situation like that differently, but because you don't want to give the players plot armor and you want there to be the fear of death. But one thing I kind of, from a, a storytelling perspective as a DM, I felt like I would, if, if one of them died, I probably would be more interested in pursuing an option of them, like continuing on but with consequences like coming back with consequences and as they're getting higher level like the chances of them dying are becoming more um relevant and also the ability for them to resurrect one another is going to become a thing but i know with hans and franz josh's character not being a full cleric he's still way off from getting revivify. and paladins don't get level three spells till much much higher um so it's still kind of a very real possibility at this at this level. And I'm just uh, where they're level at the time of recording this, they are level five in the game. So it's you know, it's scary. <laughs> it's like I don't want all my hard work to go, but I also don't want it to feel like they can't die or there's not consequences for their actions. So it's something that I guess being fully honest I don't really know, and I think I won't know until I'm faced with a situation to come up with, you know, do I let their character die? Is there a way to bring them back or not? But yeah, um, let's go back to, um the episode uh and not my existential crisis uh what do i do if one of their their characters die and really like i guess for listeners if that is something that really bothers you and you're like no you should just let them die and that's how it is it's like i don't have an answer for you i don't have a hard or fast rule like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pull my punches with stuff but i am also not going to like um and I'm not gonna give them plot armor, but I also don't think that death has to be like the very end of that character story. Like there could, there's many ways to come back. Um, but yeah. So the ghost is uh, the ghosts themselves. Um, I remember mentioning that they had very. Uh, very ghastly appearances and I don't mean that in a sense like well they're ghosts like dull is either are ghosts what I mean by that is I remember giving descriptions of the fact that they had like ears missing fingers broken like scars and like their clothes were all bloodied and it just looked like they'd been through a lot and um this could be potential spoilers but basically the way I view it is ghosts like there's certain circumstances in which a spirit would not be able to move on And uh, there some of the ways that in my head canon for how ghosts work either is you need another stronger force pulling a spirit back against their will and then kind of like that's tormenting it by holding it to this plane or basically something so traumatic happened to them that their spirit is kind of just haunting the haunting the place where they died or around the place where they died or a place that was close to them that meant a lot to them. So that's kind of some of the ways I view that like undead, like ghosts could come back. Um, and I, I feel like that could potentially be some spoilers, but you know um, we'll see. I also feel like there's another interesting thing with the fact that Rowan heard them scream the word wheat and there hasn't really been that much more digging in that so I'm curious if that will ever uh, come back up in the game I'm not going to say too much more on it but um Aaron as a player has some insight into why that happened but um he doesn't he doesn't know everything but he knows he has an idea of why that is what it is but he's but Rowan has absolutely no idea so uh, Yeah, that I will leave it at that. Um, I will say I'm so excited for Rowan's storyline and there's just, it's such a slow burn. (laughs) It's such a slow burn and it's kind of meant to be that way. But Rowan has a lot of cool stuff ahead for him. So I hope you are still listening. Um. This is a side note. Also, I'm listening to the earlier episodes and God, our sound quality was so bad compared to what we've got now. Um, Our mics are much better. We're better at tuning out background noise. Um, We're a little bit louder. Um, We make less side noises. So yeah, I appreciate anybody who stuck through those earlier episodes and is still listening to the current ones because God, we really... We were trying, but we weren't succeeding with the best audio quality in the beginning. So thank you for sticking with us. So, um... We have the party all freaking out because Hans and Franz was almost dead. And then we have it where, um... They're all trying to figure out, should we go explore the wheat? Should we not? Let's go back to the tavern. And then they are, um intercepted by Father Neri, who obviously is very concerned about the fact that these strangers just came into town, and then one of them looks like they have the life nearly sucked out of them, and, you know, is very grateful for them for getting rid of the ghost, but, you know, disturbed by, you know, the, the fact that they almost died. Um, Father Neri is basically an NPC I created to kind of be a representative of a good person who is religious and is trying to do the best he can in the circumstances he has which is funny because like hans and franz's um reaction is they're pretty well more so josh's hans and franz is very anti-southern religion but really like when you have a uh when you have polyphys polytheistic religions and also you have multiple cultures of gods like they got to learn to get along and basically their followers might be like well mine's better but that doesn't mean that you know that those gods are as petty about it I mean some of them probably are and they're petty in different ways but they kind of don't step on each other's toes necessarily <laughs> I feel like a lot of times in D&D we treat uh It like, like, I don't want to say this. I feel like this is a trope, though, where a lot of times people play it like their cleric is like, I have to convert everybody or I have to make you follow my thing. And I feel like, I mean, the Romans definitely did that. I think it's a very, like, imperialistic way to view your gods, though. Um, And the Meyer Empire is definitely like an empire and causes like there's dissent amongst that. But I feel like for the average person, like. It's more of a modern concept to be like, my God is the right one and you have to worship him this way. And I think it kind of stems from when you have monotheism. And I I could be generalizing. I am not really qualified to have, like, a super deep opinion about religious practices because I'm not, like, somebody who's majored in, like, studying world religions. But I I have studied ones out of curiosity because I like mythology and I also like understanding different um belief systems from around the world but it it definitely feels like a lot of this tendency of like well my god's better than your god or the idea of like there's only one right way to worship this is like kind of a very modern thing that like stems out of like monotheism and also like this weird cultural imperialism and i'm not saying rome didn't have those tendencies who the empire is kind of loosely based off of like the roman empire but also um the byzantine empire from the early middle ages and late middle ages because the Byzantine Empire was around for a really long time. Um but it's like like the Romans had all their gods and if they conquered an area, they would kind of make these analogs of like you worship this god, we worship the same god. So just worship your god like under this name, but and it's all cool. Um but and they didn't really change too many of the religious practices provided that they neatly went along with not challenging the empire so I feel like though a lot of times like some of the reactions I've seen in D&D when they're playing like a like a paladin or a cleric is it's all about I have to prove my god is the best over all the other gods and really I don't think that fits like what a god's view is like, they got other shit to worry about. Like, they're not really worried about, like, if so-and-so has more followers or necessarily their followers convert to them. Because a lot of them have different jobs and functionality, I guess I would say. Like, why would the god of Elio... Like, Elio's the god, like, probably doesn't really care if um his followers are being nice to somebody who follows a different goddess of, like, the earth. He's just, like... I got other shit to worry about. (laughs) I don't know. It just feels like a weird thing that is in D and D, and I don't. I don't always understand it. Anyway. Um, back to Father Neri. Uh, Father Nary also serves as a way to kind of answer some questions about how long the town has been experiencing this, build some mysteries, give the chance for the players to come up with some deductions. Um, but he also was a great opportunity to introduce some of the um, political structure and how the actual region of the Wind Plains is governed. Um, because there's the Meyer Empire, but the Meyer Empire is so big and so diverse and made up of all these different conquered cultures that what they do is basically they have an emperor and then there's dukes and duchesses that are kind of either remnants or were installed leaders of older prestigious families that had power before the Meyer Empire conquered. And then they kind of just pay tribute to the emperor. And then they kind of have certain rules that they're supposed to follow Um but otherwise, like, they're left a lot to their own devices and how they rule an individual region. Um, and it's mostly because the Meyer Empire is so big, it doesn't really... It doesn't have time or want to deal with all of that. And they're kind of getting a bit lazy, where they're just like, Yeah, we're getting tribute. We don't got to send troops up there to make sure that all of this is in line 100%. So maybe, like... For future history, the Meyer Empire is probably going to collapse within the next couple hundred years because the the Dukes are getting and and Duchess in this case in the Wind Plains are getting much more like powerful and independently minded, where they probably can cut out the middleman. But that's that's for future. That's for future campaign world building. Post Meyer Empire, um, the independent regions are all kingdoms or or. Um, uh, Anarcho syndicate um, communes, <laughs> whatever. Um, but um, anyway, Father Neri, as somebody who works in the priesthood, and even though he's on a minor tier of the priesthood, he he understands how the system of government works, and he has to do interactions with the local lord, who is an earl technically, and he basically is uh, Lord Rice, heiress, or the Earl of Meyerfield, and basically Meyerfield is. Um, one of the cities, or not cities, one of the villages that supports Feyn because when you have a large city like that, you need a lot of crops and stuff coming in around there. So all the little local baronies around there uh, supply food to the um, you know, to Feyn and and support themselves and give money to the lord there who owns all the fields. But basically, it's it's a form of feudalism. So, uh, lord Eris basically sits and rules over Meyerfield. Um He kind of spends time back and forth between Meyerfield and Feyen, the capital, because it's only, like, a day's trip. And he's got, like, a... It's its not mentioned, but he has, a, a like, a little palace living in the city as well, which is pretty common. A lot of nobles throughout history had multiple castles and keeps that they would go back and forth between. Um, but on top of him... Uh, His cousin, Lady Elaine Aris, is the one who's the duchess of the entire region of the Wind Plains. And she's kind of a controversial figure um, for for a lot of different reasons. Um, And I think that a lot of... There's a lot of times in history where there are certain political figures and rulers that get more scrutiny than others that can be justified or not justified. And I think one thing is... Sometimes it's because of their own actions, and sometimes it's just because of, like, where they are in the world. And right now, like, whoever is in charge at this moment, whether it be Lady Elaine or not, this is a very weird time in the world because society is changing so much. Magic was introduced again within, like, the last 70 to 100 years. There's a magical academy now where there's nobles going, but there's also commoners elves and like dwarves and goblins and all sorts of weird fey creatures are kind of moving back into um, the wind plains And there's a lot of social change because normally when you have um, communities that come in, you have a lot of social upheaval and change, like uh, jobs can get changed, um, new roles are filled. But the other thing that's important to notice is a lot of times, like when you have these cultural exchanges, they rub off on each other. And what happened was, is one of the previous Lord Heiresses, um, they married into the Fae royal family of the Spring Court. And Lady Elaine is the first half elf to sit in a seat of a Duchess, and she, of the Duchess of the Wind Plains. And also, since like the last several hundred years, at least in recorded history, she's the first female to hold that seat. Um, and the Myra Empire technically was is very more patriarchal. And. Traditionally, it's always been men who inherited, Um, or if there was a woman's claim, it went to her son. But because of some changes in the law that were passed before she took the seat, where the previous lord was allowed to choose his heir, and also she didn't have any brothers, like the seat went to her. And there's a lot of reasons why. I won't get into all of that now, but basically... She has a mixed reputation. Like, there's a lot of people who kind of are happy that there is somebody who is so different in the seat of power to shake things up. There's some people who really like her policies. There's some who don't. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that she does and how she operates that people find questionable or they find fine. You know, I'm not saying whether she's a good or a bad character. Um, and it's the same with Lord Rice. Like, especially for at least this part in the podcast, like, it's too early to make a full judgment call. But the players are given information and then they get to deduce their own stuff from it. But I feel like just throughout history, there's times where some political leaders get more scrutiny or get more focus put on them. And a lot of times it's because they're just in charge when so much social change is happening. Um, like Henry VIII gets a lot of uh, eyes on him where his father doesn't get as many. And I think it's because of the stuff with breaking from Rome. Um, if he hadn't have done that, which is partially led by his own social actions, but also because the time like Lutheranism was catching on and a lot of Kings across Europe kind of liked the idea of not having to report to the Pope. And I think that is something that was enticing outside of just, you know, wanting to get married and produce a male heir. Like there was an idea, like there's, there was social change in the wind and that kind of can spurn on a lot of leaders decisions or force their hands into making a decision um it can lead to a lot of wars and it can lead to a lot of social change um it can lead to a lot of good or a lot of bad things um it just depends and you know hindsight is 2020 uh there's probably a lot of stuff that elaine does that will be good and probably a lot will be bad so it's just kind of an interesting thing. And I like, I like giving my players introductions of these powerful NPCs to form their own opinions and then giving them more information over time to see if that changes it at all, good or bad. Because I don't really want to give answers of, like, this person is fully good or fully bad. I kind of like giving the players the ability to, like, try to discern it themselves, but also recognize that people are complicated. So... Anyway, I feel like I've rambled enough. If you want to hear me talk more about the social, political uh, environment of my world and how I came up with it, let me know in the comments and stuff. But otherwise, uh, thanks for listening. Um, you can basically find us on any of our social media accounts. We are at The Westerverse on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, please follow us there if you want updates all the time. It's not just always new episodes. It's also... Silly memes or some world building advice or DM advice, you know, you can follow us. It really helps us a lot. Um, and also, if you enjoy this series or you enjoy the Guardians of Fahal, Hall, like early sound stuff separate, please give us a shout out. We would really like this to grow and we really hope that we're entertaining you guys. So if you really do like us, please consider sharing us on social media and following us. Um, But otherwise next time we're going to talk about, uh part two of the haunting of Myrafield, field where the party is exploring the bog and also have the two t- brothers have a very deep conversation with each other um it's good stuff good stuff oh and gifts from song you know we can't forget that so yeah don't forget to listen and i will uh see you guys next time have a good one adventures